Hello, I am Joe Honeyhockey, and welcome to The Heavenly Social. Today's episode is very unique in that I actually have an audience. I'm not just staring at a wall. <laughs> so, I am here with the Holy Spirit Parish Teen Youth Group. Say hello, everyone. Hello! <laughs> okay. so, oh boy, isn't that exciting. You guys get to actually see uh, how often I mess up. And uh, that is why audio software is amazing. Uh, boy, howdy. So, let's get the show on the road. Today's saint was actually requested by these nice young teens. And I'm kind of glad that they chose who they did because of my own connections with him. But uh, more on that later. Uh, firstly, I would like to talk a little bit about work. It can be a real drag. <laughs> but other, uh, other times, though, it brings fulfillment. Though it can't be argued that working is important, regardless of whether or not it's a drag. And whether or not it be schoolwork or a job of some kind. Because without work, where would society be? Non-existent. In, in, Genesis, in Genesis's account of the fall of man, God says Adam will have to toil and sweat in order to survive. I'm paraphrasing there a little bit. But working has become part of our identities as human, and there's really no getting around it. The saints have shown us time and time again that through this consequence of our fallen nature, we are actually able to bring the glory of God into the world. And today's saint is one such fellow. So, have any of you ever worked on a farm? Just show of hands. Yeah, that's actually more than I expected, to be honest. <laughs> well, how about uh, just laboring away at your jobs? How many of you actually have, have, have jobs? Yeah, yeah, there we go, there we go. Then let me introduce you to Saint Isidore the Farmer, also known as Saint Isidore the Laborer. Now, uh, we can go ahead and intro, but actually I'm not sure that the intro's gonna show up, but if he does, I sure hope he doesn't cut me off. Anyways, Saint Isidore... <clears throat> He is the patron saint of farmers, laborers, and Madrid, Spain. <laughs> he was beatified on May 2nd of 1619 by Pope Paul V and canonized on March 12th, 1622 by Pope Gregory XV. Saint Isidore was actually canonized along with Ignatius of Loyola, Francis Xavier, Teresa of Avila, and Philip Neri, and collectively in Spain they're known as the Five Saints. Now, Isidore's feast day is May 15th, which is fun because that is also the feast day of another dear friend of mine, Saint Dymphna. <clears throat> Alright, but with all of that out of the way, let us get to know Saint Isidore a little bit better. He was born in Madrid, Spain, around 1070, and was named after St. Isidore of Seville, who is a doctor of the church. Fun fact. His parents were poor farmers, but were very devout, 
and raised Isidore with this love of God and strength of faith. Now, this manifested in acts of charity, where Isidore's parents demonstrated to the young saint in making that what we have is not our own and are all gifts from God. Now, they demonstrated this by giving away those few possessions that they had uh, whenever they came across somebody who needed it more. So this lesson uh, was actually embedded into Isidore's very being and kind of stayed with him throughout his life. Now, when he was young, he began to work for a wealthy landowner named Juan de Vargas, whom he would be employed by for the duration of his life. So this meant Isidore was a laborer, a farmer in the fields of Mr. Vargas. Now, this was just a few years before all of the mechanized equipment that we have. So there were no combines, no tractors, and it was very arduous. He would have had to guide a plow pulled by a horse, and he would have had to harvest using a sickle, which sounds killer on the back. Now, as Isidore grew up, he met a woman named Maria Toribia. She was in love with the Lord as Isidore was. And, uh... Hmm. This is what happens when I lose where I'm at in my document. <laughs> so, these two discerned that their journeys to heaven involved each other. And so they got married. Maria tended to their humble home. And as they were poor, and uh, Isidore tended to the fields of his master. Now, it actually is just... A, Interesting coincidence, the readings for today happened to be serving two masters. <laughs> so you could say that Isidore served both his earthly master and his uh, uh, heavenly one. Though it is quite evident through his life uh, who he considered his true master. You see, Isidore was actually notorious for being late. He was actually apparently not that great of a worker. <laughs> 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 and he, he stopped quite often to pray while in the fields. He would feed wild animals with harvested grain, which, I might point out, didn't actually belong to him. He was late because he would attend mass in the mornings and often lingered to chat with people afterwards. So, as you might imagine, his co-workers were not very fond of this behavior. So they complained to Mr. Juan de Vargas, and uh, yeah, they said that they, they just weren't, weren't very happy. They were like, hey, Mr. Vargas, check this out. So he, like a good boss, checked it out. And when he went out into the field to confront Isidore, what he found was Isidore faithfully praying, and an angel was pushing the plow. <laughs> the work was getting done. <laughs> and in fact, there was actually a separate occasion where Vargas observed Isidore working the plow with two angels on either side of him working right there with him. So, even more work was getting done. Needless to say, Vargas found no issue with this holy man. <laughs> now, this holiness wasn't just found out in the fields, it was also found in his marriage. He and Maria seemed to have made quite a power couple. <laughs> they, they had a son together, but uh, sadly, their son died uh, as a young child. 
Well, after this tragedy, though, Isidore and Maria felt that God was calling them to serve differently than as parents. So they actually abstained from trying to have more children. After this, though, they collectively focused their efforts on helping the poor, even though they were poor themselves. Apparently, Maria always had a pot of stew going, as Isidore was uh, quite notorious for bringing people home who were hungry. So they would always feed whoever came by. And uh, one of these miraculous stories goes that Isidore actually brought more beggars than there was food prepared. But the pot miraculously didn't run out until everyone had been fed. So Isidore and Maria just lived out these simple, faithful acts of charity for the rest of their lives, tending to anyone who needed help. Now, Isidore, he died on May 15th, 1130. So he would have been around the age of 60. After his death, Maria lived the rest of her life in contemplation as a hermit, although she actually became a miracle worker in her own right and has been celebrated in Spain right along with her husband, and has been referred to as Saint Maria of the Head. But, fun fact, she is not actually a saint, she is only a blessed. Her cause for full-on canonization still lies with the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, uh, though she is, as I said, affectionately referred to as Saint Maria. But the story isn't done yet. One neat fact about Isidore is that in April of the year 1212, there was a massive rainstorm that was so intense that it washed up many buried bodies, including, including Isidore's. It was then that the people discovered his body was incorrupt. So devotion already surrounded this holy man, but the discovery of his incorrupted body just made him that much more well known. And so his body was then taken uh, into Madrid and uh, actually was moved around quite a bit. And uh, his relics were often visited and revered by members of the Spanish royal family. But after many moves, his body came to rest in a church dedicated to him in Madrid called the Church of San Isidro, a.k.a. the Church of St. Isidore. And the body of his wife Maria rests by his side. And there is Saint Isidore. Now, as I know all of you are very loyal listeners, what comes next is where I identify a virtue or trait about this saint that I think can be really emulated or something that I might be able to identify with. With that said, I'm going to turn this over to you guys. So what has stuck out to you about St. Isidore, whether you knew him before or what. Or even if you just want to ask a question, by all means, ask away. Is yeah. his body still incorruptible or not? Yes. Okay. Yep, his body is still found to be incorrupted. Is his wife's body also incorruptible? No. Okay. No, she she super decomposed, and <laughs> but her remains, uh, in a very romantic gesture, get to lie right next to his. Yes. It's in Madrid. Yep. Which is in Spain. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, okay, so, yeah, the incorruptibles are just a fascinating thing. Yeah, that, that is what that means. It means uh, either partially decomposed or wholly intact. Uh, and now the church does make distinctions between uh, a body that's just been well-preserved and a body that's, like, fully incorrupted. Uh, so they do recognize if, uh, I think it was Pope John the Twenty-Third. Uh, they, his body was just really well preserved and was embalmed, and so he's not uh, considered incorrupted. Um, an interesting note about incorrupted uh, saints is that there's almost always a an uh, aroma of flowers. They always smell very sweet, and uh, so that's kind of an interesting distinction. Yeah, good question. Yeah. Is there a particular reason he was revered by? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that started out, oh boy, I can't remember the king's name, but it, it was due to a miraculous cure. Uh, there, there was a, a, a king who touched the relics of Isidore, and uh, oh boy, I can't remember if it was him or if it was a, a relative of his uh, that was miraculously cured. And... After that, he actually invested a lot into, uh, like, a lot of money into getting a proper reliquary made. Because before that, it was just kind of a, a uh, sort of cheap, shabby reliquary. And so he made one of silver, had one made of silver. And uh, that's when the, the royal family devotion really came about. Yeah, back there. Um, what relics do they have of this saint? So they have his entire body. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Wait, so they have relics of him, but he's still wholly intact? Well, yeah, okay, so that's an interesting thing. So, <laughs> uh, I know at one point his tooth was pulled, and there was a woman who actually bit off one of his toes. <laughs> so, so, in, it, his body's incorrupted, but it's not necessarily intact. <laughs> 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 yeah. Right. So that's something. Everything's interesting. I, I, I say that too much. His his body's actually locked behind a door with six keys that the king had the master key for and could only be opened with the bishop present and the king's permission. I. Don't think that's the case anymore, but I, I do believe it still uh, lies in that room that, <laughs> that it is. I, I don't quite know how accessible his body is to the public. Yeah. Did his parents become saints? No. His, his parents, to my knowledge, are, are not uh, canonized saints. They very well might be saints, but we don't know. Yeah. Is there a reason why he like had a like a locked door with six keys? Was there like a certain reason for that, or just that's how it happened? I don't know. I think the monarchs just really wanted to keep his body to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe too many people were trying to bite off his toes. Yeah. <laughs> He's only got ten. That's right. He's only got ten. Nine. Yeah, Xander. Is there like, is there, like more <laughs> I mean, did she get charged with anything from 
No, this was in the medieval times, and I think she successful she successfully bit off his toe. I, as I, as far as I'm aware. <laughs> I think that was before. That was before this. So so the yeah the whole doors thing. I think that came about when he was moved to the Church of Saint Isidore, which was in the mid 1700s, if I'm recalling right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> gotta, gotta save those toes. Yeah. Um, do you know about any of the miracles that got him to sainthood and be canonized? Oh boy. So the canonization process was really just kind of entering how we understand it at the time when he was canonized. Um, I think I read somewhere that there's some like 400 <coughs> miracles that's attributed to him. And so one of the to answer your question I don't know like specific miracles that were like this is the reason this guy is a saint um, I guess on the since we've been talking about like uh, incorruptible that is actually not considered a miracle in uh, a cause for someone's canonization it's it's just an observation <laughs> but um one of the r big requisites for uh, the canonization process is a uh, sort of local cult or like a local following or devotion. And so uh, given that he kind of had miracles and worked miracles during his life, uh, it, it was pretty soon after his death that people were like, this guy is a saint. And so... Uh, uh, that sort of local following is is a pretty big part of, of that whole process. And so, yeah, there's quite a few miracles associated with him. I think it would be tough to, to uh, narrow down one. There's, there's, there's quite a few, way more than uh, I could really list here. But, yeah. Yeah. So I don't really know that, uh, to to be entirely honest. We we know that she outlived him, but uh, there might be some approximations. But uh, admittedly, I I didn't run across those. So no idea. Yeah. So we assume he was about sixty. Yeah. Ooh, great question. No, he didn't, because actually the bags miraculously re were refilled. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, just another one of those miracles. Yeah. I think the actual, so specifically the story goes that he was walking along and it was all snowy and icy and pigeons were trying to get to food underneath uh, the ice. And so he uh, fed them all of this grain. And yeah, by the time he got to the storehouse, the grain bags were full and the flour that was produced from the grain was actually significantly more than was expected. So he was rewarded for taking care of nature. Yeah. You said you have a personal connection with him. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> All right. Because I completely forgot about that. <laughs> so yeah, my connection with St. Isidore is uh, uh, where I went to college at K-State, at Kansas State for uh, yeah, Kansas State University. Our, our uh, uh, 
student parish there is St. Isidore's. And so that's that was kind of my first um, kind of exposure to him and uh, hearing about him. And yeah, I just had such a... a uh, uh, my spiritual journey is so significantly tied to that place that, uh, yeah, St. Saint Isidore actually kind of has a special place in my heart. Anybody else? No. All right. Well, then... As uh, some, some ending thoughts, might I uh, tell you what I really gathered from Isidore, which was his simplicity of life. He stayed on the same little plot of land. Well, I guess it was actually a pretty big plot of land, but <laughs> land that didn't belong to him. He stayed in his humble little house on this big plot of land and uh, for the entire duration of his life. And that farming was all he knew. But his faith was just so strong that he managed to bring God to everybody that he encountered. And frankly, it'd be easy to imagine that he wouldn't really come into contact with that many people. It's not like he traveled. It's not uh, like people were really coming to him. But he met every person where they were. And uh, kind of through that simplicity just feeding them he has managed to move many hearts and uh, bring God to a great many people so how can we emulate this kind of simplicity it's rhetorical <laughs> it's something something for you all to meditate on and pray on how can we find God in all that we do or better yet how can we serve God in all that we do so, that does it for this episode. Thank you all very much for uh, being a very attentive audience. And we will see you next time.